Hey, what's up? You are listening to a podcast by Armando J. Cox Jr. and I am a roofer. I started this podcast for two types of people, customers who may be needing roofing services and they just want to learn about roofing products. And I also made it for my fellow colleagues who want to listen to something entertaining while they drive around from job to job. So I'm going to be having expert guests on the show to talk about roofing and other construction trades. And I will also be having guests talk about something else. And that something else is their problem and their struggle with addiction. So as a recovering alcoholic myself, I love talking to people who have also struggled with substance abuse and found a way to overcome that problem so that they can be better people to their families and to their customers. So I really hope that you get something out of this podcast and I thank you again for tuning in. So, I'm, uh, so my name is Armando Jaycox. I am a local Denver, Colorado roofing guy, and you're listening to my podcast. And uh, today's podcast is going to be uh, my origin story and kind of how I got into the roofing business and uh, sort of like elaborating on my YouTube video of how I got into this business. So uh, my audience is going to be uh, customers who might be interested in buying a new roof and are going to be spending a lot of money on a new roof and they kind of want to get to know me a little bit better before they just hand over a lot of money. Um, the other aspect, the other part of the audience is going to be uh, colleagues in the business. So other roofing contractors who can uh, you know, learn about different strategies that I'm using to grow my business and uh, learn about different aspects of um, you know, being a roofing contractor. And the thing is the colleagues can vary a lot. And a lot of colleagues are going to be real new guys, barely in the business, just getting started. And there's not a whole lot out there for them to, to learn. And they can let's tune in on this podcast and learn some things, which I think will be really useful to them. Um, the other part of it is that, um, you know, I do run a really successful business right now. I'm the sales manager at a roofing company that does, you know, um, somewhere five to six million, kind of depending on, on the year. And we've been growing since 2000, uh, since, since I started kind of coming on board, um, we've been growing, you know, 20, 25% rate every year. So, um, I just want to lend a little credibility to myself and that's kind of what this podcast is about. So, uh, and that's kind of what this episode in particular is about is I want people to get to know me a little better so they can start to trust me. So, um, I brought on my, best friend Mo. Uh, he goes by Matt. <laughs> Matt Owens. Um, really great guy. Awesome guy. And he is, uh, he's, uh, we got really close because when I first moved to Colorado, um, I got into a really bad uh, snowboard accident. He and I went, he was skiing and I was snowboarding and Mo, um, you know, we had just met really. And you know, we went, he found me. Um, well, hold on, let's back up. What happened there? Yeah. <laughs> Hi everyone. My name is, my name is Mo. I've watched Armando go through the transformation from lowly, uh, cell phone slinging salesman at a, at a, at a, uh, at the mall, uh, to where he is now as a successful business entrepreneur. 
And uh, just to just to start off, uh, you know our, how how I got to be in this podcast today. Uh, Armando stumbled into my life through, uh, as as Armando was saying, a skiing incident at Breckenridge, Colorado. Uh, without cell phones, that tells you what time it was in our lives. And uh, Armando broke his leg in two places. And after seeing a man toboggan down about two hours before, I started to wonder where my lost friend had gone. And it wasn't until I got a call from his girlfriend to say that he was at the local Summit County Hospital that I went and found him there. Uh, and this is a week or two after he'd moved to Colorado from Arizona. Um, yeah, I basically <laughs> moved to Colorado just so I could snowboard more often. That's basically why I came here. And I had was so excited about buying my first ski pass. I couldn't even afford it. I had to like scrounge up the money for like a $500 ski pass. And I like got it and I was so excited to go snowboarding. And then we went like prematurely. It was like icy as all hell. And, you know, we, you know, I fell and like it had a spiral fracture and, you know, two places. But so we're going to get a little more to that. But let's take it way back, <laughs> way back, because, you know, that I grew up in Vegas. Right. That's right. And um, so let me just look here because I've got some notes here. So. So, you know, I grew up in Vegas and, um, you know, I went to high school, Durango High School. And, um, you know, I think uh, a lot of people kind of, you know, sometimes ask me, like, what was it like growing up in Vegas? So will you ask me that? (laughs) So, Armando, I know that you grew up in in Vegas, you know, and that's kind of the city of, uh, you know, that's a wild place to grow up. What was your experience like growing up in Vegas? So, yeah, I grew up in Vegas and it was... um, it was definitely different. It's kind of like what you would think growing up in Vegas was like, you know, a lot of our parents were in the service industry. Um, my mom was a, a dealer at a casino. Uh, my dad was a, a waiter at a restaurant and, you know, he, um, you know, they, uh, that's kind of how we grew up. I feel like we got really lucky cause my, my parents bought a, a nice, a, a, you know, in a, like lower middle-class kind of house, you know, in a, um, in a decent neighborhood back then. And I feel very uh, grateful that they were able to do that because that kind of helped me, um, helped me kind of get in with, with like kids in like a, you know, in a middle-class kind of environment, um, which is great, even though we were not really middle-class, we were a little bit lower than that. I think <laughs> I came from a very hardworking family. That's probably that's that that, that speaks uh, I think greatly to your to your work ethic nowadays. But anyways, thanks, man. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. I, I, we were, and you know, um, so I had some some struggles early on. Um, right, re- my parents were divorced when I was three years old, so um, that really, man, I feel like that shaped me all the way till now. You know. Um, I feel like not having two loving parents there, um, I think it really messes with your head. You know what I mean? It really kind of like, it, it just, it kind of sucks. I mean, what can I say? You know, it really sucks. Cause I mean, I, I grew up playing baseball and like, um, you know, my, my parent, my friend's dads were playing baseball with them, playing catch coaching and stuff like that. And, and I didn't have that, you know, my dad, my mom and dad were divorced. My, my dad was, you know, um, drinking a lot. My dad was out there kind of doing his thing. He was, 
you know, he was kind of like, uh, and my mom didn't really want him around either. So, you know, um, they had a very, uh, hard time with that. And so look, let's just be honest. My mom basically claims that my dad was a hardcore alcoholic. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> my dad basically claims that my mom was like, a hardcore bitch. Okay. Like, <laughs> we might as well tell the truth here. And, and that's kind of the tone that I want to start setting for this podcast. It's like, Same I want my is. listeners to know, like, I'm just telling the truth here, like just full on, full out. And I want them, I want you guys to tell the truth too. Full on, full out. Let's not hold back, you know? And so, um, I kind of, you know, so that's kind of, I don't know what to believe when it comes to when I hear my two parents tell me about you know, our lives and stuff like that. Like, you know, I'm sure everybody kind of what I've learned over the years is like, there's some truth in both sides of the story, you know? And so I think, uh, um, you know, but that, that was, uh, kind of tough. And I, I did have some really great coaches in baseball though, who, um, who really, uh, picked me up, you know, for practice and, and, uh, you know, I have a three and a half year old now and like, I can't wait for them to start playing baseball. And like, I can't wait for, um, for my son to start playing baseball and like being a coach and like seeing that kid who's kind of like me and like, I'm going to pick them up to school, you know, like they yeah. kind of like adopted me in a way, you know? And like, uh, there's one guy, um, in particular called named Bill, uh, Bill Erickson. And like, he took me under his wing and I, you know, I really excelled in baseball and I ended up, um, uh, doing playing baseball, like my whole, you know, childhood pretty much. And that's kind of what kept me, you were pretty Together. good too, weren't you? And what what positions did you play? I was, yeah, I was I was actually really good. I remember like being um, like I actually still remember vividly uh, my one of my first t-ball games and like just hitting it like super hard and like getting a home run like at like five <laughs> years old, four or five years old, and running the bases. Yeah, I was just like I couldn't believe like that. Just like it was like a high, you know what I mean? Like at five, a four. golden moment locked in. I think for, it was four for, forever. Yeah, locked in, and I wanted to play baseball like no, like nothing else, you know. And so, um, so yeah, I was pretty good. I was on the all star team, although I had some pretty big upsets in that um, that process. Like um, I made all star team when I came, I got a little older, and and uh, there was some politics involved in base in little league baseball, Las Vegas little league baseball. <laughs> And uh, some of the politics were that um, the uh, um, the the team that won like the championship, they were the team. They were like the core team of the All Star team that would go on to like play with like you know um, an All Stars. So we lost that last game, but they still picked me to be on All Stars, and I was catcher. And like the opposing team who beat us. Um, very dramatic loss also. Like we were all crying and like it was very dramatic. And uh, we were like, I don't know, it must've been about 12 or so, something like that. So the opposing team the, had a catcher also and his dad was the coach. So that was like my first lesson in, in, in politics really that like, um, you know, the person with the power is kind of going to win, you know? And like, it was really upsetting. And my, um, <clears throat> my uh my mom got in a big fight with a coach you know and like um which is kind of cool i look back on it she's like advocating for me you know because i didn't play in, in all-stars yeah. like anything it was like really it was really like a heartbreaking thing like i didn't play and it was um i i had like maybe like two at bats that whole time and like i 
just all I wanted was to be like on that team, you know, and like having two at bats and sit on the bench like for like five, six games was like kind of torturous as like a 12 year old, you know, <laughs> it was like really bad. But one thing I have to say that it taught me, though, was that like, you know, my mom made me go. I wanted to quit. I wanted to just get out of there. You know, my mom made me go. She made me go to all the practices. She made me go sit the bench and we kind of made the best of it. You know, we cried and we we fought and she fought with the coach and I fought with the coach and like my coach fought with his coach. Like it was a lot of fighting, but like we made the best of it and we went through it and, you know, and, and it was okay, you know? And, and so, um, but things kind of took a turn after, um, after all of that, which was that like, I kind of started to hang out with the, the wrong kids, you know, um, growing up. Yeah. And, uh, I started to, um, I started to get in a lot of trouble, smoking a lot of weed, you know, getting uh, getting high, drinking, just like doing, really getting a lot of trouble. I got arrested a couple times as a minor, um, went to juvie a couple times, um, you know, did some vandalism, got arrested for that. Um, so you, you got know. a deeper dive into all the struggles that we all face. <laughs> I, I, I hope we don't up, all up, have up. to face those kind of troubles. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, I, I kind of on the deeper side of it, what's uh, it got pretty what bad. Type, what trouble you could find in Vegas is what. You yeah, find and it's so funny. It's so funny. Yeah, and it's so funny because I tell people at work sometimes this, these these kind of stories, and they're like. I just, I can't understand, you know, because like, I'm so not that way now. Like people think I had like a good upbringing, education, all this kind of stuff and like perfect parents or whatever. And like, it's like, no, like with combed hair and glasses, it doesn't quite fit the part <laughs> of going to juvie. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. So, um, so yeah, that was kind of what it was like, you know, back in growing up in Vegas and, you know, I, I graduated high school through like sheer luck I think you know um really I have to say like it was because of my high school girlfriend you know that we were able to um I was able to kind of graduate she helped me uh she helped me keep my life together you know and uh so we I graduated and also had some really good teachers I had a, a, native, a lady named Renee Stallings and had some other really great teachers but but Renee Stallings was like that one teacher who like totally believed in me and like um, believed in my talent, believed in my ability to write. I was really into writing and she made me the editor of the literary magazine in high school, which was like kind of shocking for like wow. a person that I was, you know, <laughs> but she put me in charge and she believed, I don't know what, you know, man, it's so weird with Renee Stallings. I just, I have to talk about this because I remember going into uh, the library um, when I was maybe in like uh, 11th grade or so, 10th, 11th grade. And like, I saw her in the library teaching to the kids and like, the, I don't know if this ever happened to you, but like the second you see somebody, it's like you've seen them before and you like know them like soul, so well. A soul connection. A you've soul had that. connection. <laughs> Super deep. Yeah. And I was like. And we've all had those, those teachers, you know, that were the, the person that we remember, you know, or the one that. Yeah, that that, re that revealed yeah. to you your inner strengths or was your inspiration at that time. I think we do. Thank God for teachers like times. that. Yeah, thank God for them, you know. Um, yeah, so like thank God for her, you know, and she she helped she believed in me and she helped me to um get past some of those struggles, you know, and and so I I I uh, graduated high school off the skin of my teeth. <laughs> and I'm going to reveal something. Hopefully this 
counselor doesn't get busted because of this, but um, <laughs> I I this failed a semester in high school English, right? I failed like I failed like the first semester, and um, but like it was like my senior year, and like it would already it was like I couldn't make it up. I had you know the first semester was gone, so he went into the computer, and he like really liked me and stuff, and he went into the computer and switched semesters like from like made it look like I passed he's like you know what he's like thinking he's like oh man I don't know he's like gosh you're just doing so well I'm like oh, I don't know what to do like he's like you know okay you know what you're gonna take summer school right and I'm like yeah he's like okay so what I'm gonna do I'm gonna make it I'm gonna switch it here in the computer so it'll make it seem like you you know pass this class and your first semester and then you'll just make it up in summer school but you gotta do summer school okay like I will get in trouble if you don't do summer school and I'm like <laughs> I was like okay I'll do it I'm doing it don't worry don't worry and he's like okay cool so he like switched it and that's what was made it able for me to like graduate high school so is a lesson for the listeners better lucky than good <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah so you know what was I don't know. It's weird. Like my life is so weird sometimes, man, because like, I think all of our lives are just weird how like life works. Cause that counselor, I graduated high school, made it past that counselor ended up being, um, so I'm like, in, I'm in college. I went to community college and, um, my first two years in school. So graduated high school, went to community college. And then, um, I'm walking the halls and I see that counselor and I'm like, I can't remember his name anymore, but you know, I want to like search him out if I'm find him somehow. But anyways, I saw him and I'm like, Hey, how's it going? He's like, Hey, he's like, Oh, you're going to school here. Yeah. We like caught up and again, he's like, yeah, I'm a counselor here. I was like, Oh wow. That's crazy. He's like, yeah. I was like, can I meet with you? Like to discuss my class? He's like, absolutely. That's my job. Let's do it. And I was like, all right, cool. He's kind of a younger guy. He's like really cool guy and stuff. And so we, um, and he knew Renee Stallings. I think they were like, they knew each other. Like I, I know for a fact they did. Cause he told me, he's like, Oh, me and Renee used to talk about you. Like, Cause I kept in touch with him and um, like when I was in my early twenties. So anyways, um, we went into the office and I was telling him that I was struggling to pick out a major in school, you know? And he, uh, he said, I told him I wanted to be, uh, I wanted to get into business and he was like, okay, cool. Yeah. You could be a business major. I think that's a great idea. You know, absolutely. He's like, you know, these are the classes you have to take this and that. And I started looking over the classes I had to take and I'm like, wait, I got to take like, algebra like I gotta take statistics I gotta take like all these complicated math classes I was like I was like man I don't know if I can do all these complicated math classes I wasn't like a math person you know I was like a, a literature person you know a writing person and he's like yeah you have to take those classes and I was like man I don't know and he's like well um he's like give it a shot he like encouraged me to give it a shot and like just do it and he's like you never know you might you know you might change and stuff and I was like okay cool I was like put me in the first one. He's like, well, it's accounting 101. So I was like, okay, yeah, let's do accounting 101. And so we, um, I jumped in and I was also taking my other classes, like my intro, you know, English 101 and stuff like that. And I like, my brain was like, just like, I could not get it. Like, it was just like, I was like my head shut off when I started looking at all these accounting numbers. And I just did not get like debit and credit and like putting them all together. And I was like, what is this? It's like, I think it's related it. with like, you know, 70, 80% of most of America, but with that comment. So yeah, absolutely, <laughs> man. So we, um, we, uh, I ended up just, um, I ended up failing that class. I got like a D I think. And I went back to him and was like, man, I'm very discouraged. Like, 
this is just not going to work out for me. And like, I, you know, statistics is like, you know, he's like, well, look, if you want a four year degree though, Armando, you're going to have to take college algebra one way or another. That's a requirement. So even if you don't do business, you're going to have to take that. So you better, you going to, you know, get started. So he's like, go take the placement class. And I went and took the placement class and I placed him like, like I'm not exaggerating. It was like math, like two plus two. Like I like the the first class and the, nice. the first day of class. Rinsy that's what grow. we did. Like it was like two plus two, and I was like, <laughs> oh my gosh, it's like remedial math. And uh, he's like, well, that's what you placed in, so you kind of have to work your way from there. And there's like four or five classes before hitting college algebra of like remedial math classes for the most part. Back to elementary school. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I had to do that, and um, and then he's also said, you know. Armando, you're going to be in school for a while. He's like, you may not finish in four years. You may finish in more. So he's like, you, um, you, you, I highly recommend you pick something that you enjoy and that you're good at. Okay. So, you know, what do you think that's going to be? And like, I, I saw him later in life, like my early twenties when I, after I was like, when I was in school and he said that he, he totally remembers me. And he's like, I remember telling you that because I knew you were going to pick English. And I was like, really? He's like, yeah. And I want, I, but I wanted you to pick it. I just was guiding you there. And I was like, <laughs> okay. And, and I was like, well, I'm really good at writing. And he's like, yeah, you know, you were really, you know, editor of the school. And I was like, yeah. And I was like, I'm good at writing. I, I love writing. I was like, I mean, I love reading and I love looking. He's like, English would be really, really good. I think that might, he's like, I was like, you know, I love English 101. I love my teacher, this and that. And he's like, yeah, maybe that's be a good major for you. And I was like, yeah, that, that could be. I was like, but I mean, what am I going to do with an English degree? Like, you know, I want to be a teacher. I, you know, I was like, kind of went into that direction with him. And he's like, look, you like I said, the reason if you don't pick something you're good at and that you like, you may not even make it to the end. So like, you know, you, follow you, your, yeah, follow so your, he's like, and I want to see you graduate. Yeah, he's like, I want to see you graduate. I want to see you get a degree, you know? So I was like, okay. So I kind of started going in that direction and, um, Ended up uh, getting out of community college. I ended up getting all A's my first uh, two years there. Um, I think I got one B. Um, looking then, back, uh, you know, when you yeah. think about those type of curriculums that you're taking when you're a kid, that having no idea how that's going to play out into whatever career path you take. And yeah, looking back in hindsight now, how much you know your uh, skills with words has played into your business uh, yeah. profession. Yeah, uh, or just your your communication uh, skills in general, you know, have uh, bountiful benefits. So yeah, I don't regret one second majoring in English. Well, later in this little story, we'll get into how I picked philosophy as a second major. So I majored in English and philosophy, <laughs> like the two <laughs> like most pointless majors, pretty much you can do. Um, but like, let's see, um, but a degree that would help you win any argument. <laughs> yeah, well, let's jump into there. So I, I finished, I went to CCS, I went to community college, ended up going to UNLV. The thing is, I was still with my high school, my high school sweetheart back then. And she was dead set on going to University of Arizona. So like, I really didn't have, I didn't have a choice. Let's be honest, I didn't have a choice back then. You know, I was just, just this like young kid. And I was just kind of like, I was, I was kind of angry that like, you know, I felt kind of like she was, you know, forcing me to, to go over there. And so we made a deal. She said, look, how about we do this? I'll come back to you, to UNLV. I'll, I'll go to UNLV for a year because she went away for, to U of A for a year. We did a long distance relationship, miraculously worked out. And, um, she's like, I'll come back to UNLV for a year 
And then if we make it through that year, then you have to come back with me to University of Arizona. And I was like, damn, like that's, you know, I was, I was impressed that she was willing to do that. You know, it's kind of a big, big thing. So um, that's what we did and we made it. And so then I, I finished, I did uh, two years at CCS at Community College of Southern Nevada and then did one year at UNLV in Las Vegas. And then um, I went, moved to Arizona to go attend the University of Arizona with, uh, with my high school, um, high school girlfriend, um, Jenny. So, um, follow in love versus reason. I don't know. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Following, you know, I just, like, I love my job. I do love my job, but sometimes I hate my job. All right. And I, and so like, but I think it's just so important to like, you know, find our passions. I'm still looking for mine. It might not be mine. called the job if it wasn't, if it didn't have that love hate. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I haven't discussed, I'm still looking for mine. Like I, I like what I, you know, I'm still looking for my passion, but like the, um, I think most people can agree that, you know, we haven't really, I'm, I, I'm still looking for what I want to do when I become an adult. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, you know what though? I listened to an interview with um on YouTube with uh Jeff Bezos, um, yeah. the owner of Amazon, and he um he was talking about how when he goes on vacation, um he loves going on vacation, loves spending time with his family and all that stuff. He's like, but he like like cannot wait to get back to work. He says, and he's like, last time he came back, he literally was like running to his office, super excited and like, couldn't, you know, wait to get like, you know, back with his meetings and like his emails and like all of it and just running Amazon. And I was like, wow, like that is like so high of a level of a guy who's discovered what he really loves and really, he really wants to do with his life that like, that's kind of what I aspire to one day to be like, that's kind of like my, that's definitely my, um, like my standard of like loving your job and like loving your life is like that guy pretty much. Yeah. So, um, so yeah. Um, but, uh, you know, getting back to Arizona, you know, I went, I went there and followed, uh, followed Jenny and we, um, you know, it was, it was very, it was a very tumultuous time in my life at that point, you know, like, um, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, when I met Jenny at first in high school, I kind of stopped hanging out with those, you know, the bad kids and drinking and getting high and stuff like that. And like we, I kind of started to focus more on my life and I wanted to have like a better future. And I, and I ended up doing really well. I thought like the drinking, drinking, the getting high and drinking was like over, you know, I thought that was just like a chapter was gone. But then when I moved to Arizona, it kind of started to creep back into my life. And, um, and I started to, uh, smoke pot a little bit more and, you know, little, little by little and started drinking a little bit more. And, um, and then we had a, um, a series of really bad events that like all leading up to St. Patrick's day. (laughs) Yeah, that's right. That's right. So I wrecked my, I totaled my truck. I I got high and drove totaled my truck. All right. That happened. Then is this, but this is just beyond the statute of limitations. Is there any victims that need to be, you know, excluded from this podcast? No. <laughs> yeah, I know, <laughs> I know, but it's past. I think it is. It's probably like 15 years ago. So, um, so I got high, told my truck that was April 1st. I won't, I'll never forget. It was April fool's day. So April fool's day happened. And cause when I called my family and I tell them, they all thought they all, you know, people know I'm a jokester. So nobody believed me. They were like, it's April fool's day. It's April fool's day. And I'm like, no, I totaled my truck, this and that. And they're like, wow, like that sucks. And I had a liability insurance cause I was young and yeah. dumb and I didn't have full coverage. So I'm like, 
out of my truck. And this is like, this is like, this truck is like my baby. Like I, you know, I had like a lift kit on it, big tires and like had a stereo system. Like it was my baby, you know? And like, it was very devastating to lose that truck. So that's event number one, April 4th. Event number two is like, I want to say like mid July or mid like late June, something like that. But I, um, made the big mistake of attending, uh, full-time summer school in college. And like, I realize now that I should have listened to some of my people back there that who advised me to like work in the summer, save up your money. So you don't have to work so much while you're in school. That's kind of what the summer is for, but I'm hard headed. I'm not going to listen to anybody, especially when I was that young, you know? And so I took full-time summer school thinking, well, I'm going to graduate quicker, you know, doing it this. And it like, I was so stressed out and overwhelmed that like I ended up um, I had, we had a, an apartment that had a light bulb in the closet and I accidentally left the light bulb on and I went to study at the coffee shop. Mm-hmm. And when I came back, um, the, uh, when I came back, the coffee shop was, or the, my neighbors like rushed to my car and they're like, you live in 1229. I mean, I still remember like my apartment number and he, I was like, yeah. And they're like, your house is on fire. And I'm like, what? And and I like started freaking out and like I went ran over there and like I saw my apartment in ashes just covered in black like it was like I mean devastating you know and I was like put my head wow. hand on my head and I was just I almost fainted like I was really close to fainting and so I um did it did it burn down any apartments around yours was it just yours it was just mine just yours yeah wow. it was a kind of apartment like in, in Arizona how they have like a cinder itself. block there okay it was like cinder block walls kind of like a firewall almost okay so like, um, but I lost everything, everything I own, all I had left with the clothes on my back, literally. So that was just super traumatizing, you know? Absolutely. So like I lose my truck, I burn my house down on accident and like those are the two events. Then like, it's all right. It's already a country song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So like the songs not over. Jenny and I are having problems, right? We're kind of like, you know, we're very stressed. Like I'm still going to summer school even after the house fire. So like my drinking really started to take off at that time. And like, uh, you know, just to illustrate some of that is we went to see the apartment the next day to try to find if there was any of our belongings that survived. And there was a bottle of wine in the kitchen in the cupboard. And I saw it and I like grabbed it and just literally down the whole thing in like one drink. And Jenny was like, why did you do that? And I'm like, I was like, I Look was just thirsty. You. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I felt like she kind of gave me I a had break. to quench this fire inside me. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, um, so yeah, my drinking just took off after that, man. Like I was drinking in the morning, afternoons, evenings, just any chance I could get, I was drinking, smoking any chance I could get. Like it just really got bad. And and, you know, I started to kind of think that, you know, Jenny was the problem and, you know, I didn't want to think that drinking or alcohol was the problem because, you know, when you have a drinking problem like that, you don't really ever want to confront that problem. You want to blame everything around you, which mm-hmm. I put my focus on Jenny. It was her fault that I was being this way, you know. Mm-hmm. So I um, I ended up uh, breaking up with her like yeah. two months after the house fire. I broke up with her. I thought, you know, maybe this would be the answer to my problems, you know, and, um, but wherever you go, wherever you go, there you are. 
<laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. So, yeah, that that happened. So that that's this is all like a six month span. Lose my truck, burn my house down, lose my girlfriend, my high school girlfriend. We're probably together about five years at that. Trying time. to wash it all away. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So man, that just was like the beginning of like a hardcore. So you're basically a tabula rosa. Binge. Then you were you were a blank slate at that point for for life heading forward. Yeah, yeah. I, I ended yeah. up failing um, two semesters of school. I was an honor student, man. Like I was like, like I don't, you know, I'm gonna say like elite level at the University of Arizona. We had like a, 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 a honors like department. I was in the university honors department, and I was also in the English honors department, which is like a program that I applied to and worked really hard to get into. And I was in it; like they accepted me. Out of all those students, they let me in. It was like kind of shocking that I even got in. <laughs> so like, that's like just kind of shows you like where I was, you know. And like, and I thought I was so smart, I had it all figured out, and all this stuff. So like, but alcohol doesn't care how smart you are. With those, and, with with that, with that whole experience you just mentioned, what was what would you say? You know, if you had to come up with one lesson that you came away from that with or you know one area of growth that that was the springboard for you know I have to say that it's really kind of sad that I had to cut down to this level but I hit rock bottom you know it took me about a year and a half and that's probably that's what like look at the time like rock bottom when you're hitting rock bottom you know is not fun at all it's like you know it's kind of feel like you're gonna die you kind of feel like you lost your mind and you kind of feel like you want to just kill yourself anyways. So that's not a fun place to be. But now that I look back on it, you know, 16 years later, I see that like, I'm so grateful for that, that moment, you know? So like, um, that's kind of what happened. That's what led up to, um, I basically partied for like a year and a half, just going crazy. And it all accumulated on, uh, March 17th, 2002, Actually, March 16th, 2002 was when I took my last drink. And, yeah. um, and so that was, um, that was a huge night. And the next day was St. Patrick's Day. And all my buddies were like, it was, it was the spring break weekend. We were all partying for spring break. And it was uh, St. Patrick's Day. And they were like, let's go, you know, have some green beer. And I was like, no, I'm not having green beer. Everybody looked at me like puzzled looks, scratching their heads. And I'm like, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, I quit drinking. I'm like, I'm quitting. And what <laughs> like, was, that was, like, and that was the first honest word you said that has now held true for what, 15, 16 years. Yeah. But what's so funny about, they literally laughed at me. Like it was a joke. <laughs> like that's how bad I, of an alcoholic I was and a pothead I was, you know, like the same way that I'd laugh at you if you said you're going to throw away your whole life and family and go, go back to that well, lifestyle or probably cry <laughs> for me really. But, um, so even my neighbors, like I went when I, the next day, like my neighbors, um, like it was a Monday and like, um, they, I, they like came and like, Hey, do you have any weed? This and that. And I'm like, no, I, I quit. I was like telling everybody, like, I didn't care. I was like, I quit. And they're just like, looked at me. I'll never forget to look on their eyes. They're like, you're a, such a joke. Like, I look like a joke saying that, you know, cause like how hardcore a pothead and alcoholic I was, nobody would believe that I was going to quit. Um, but like I went to the school counselor over at the U of A and they, um, it was like the first time in my life that I was really like brutally honest with anybody, like in that way, like I told them straight up how much drinking I was doing and everything. And, and they said, yeah, you should check yourself into a treatment center. You know, you're, um, you're pretty, you know, far gone and, and you're in a pretty bad situation. So, um, I didn't check myself in a treatment center. I did end up, um, going to AA and I went to see a outpatient, um, kind of an outpatient treatment uh, approach and, uh, with a with a psychologist and a lot of AA and, 
and it worked. I put jumped full on in there, and uh, you know now I've been sober 16 years, and um, you know I'll celebrate. Uh, yeah, it's uh, knock on wood there, and I'll celebrate 17 years um, in March 17th. So uh, so yeah, I'm pretty. I, I you know I was talking to my my nephew on the way here, and like I was telling him how I I love being sober. Like it's yeah. so weird to say, you know, that I love being sober. And, and at that so, time in your life, you probably thought it looked just like Monopoly weekends forever with grandma. I you know, thought I'd die. The most died. boring thing you could think of, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, the thing is, I was not. I was in pretty bad place, like hitting rock bottom, you know. But like, I was looking forward to not being there anymore. But you kind of can't. I couldn't see that I was not going to be there anymore. So it's it was a really big struggle. I mean, we could do a whole podcast on getting sober and what that's like, you know. Yeah. But it's um. It's pretty bad. So I, I just such a big part of my story that I want to at least um, I want it, you know, I want people to kind of know that that's part of my story. And, and, you know, and it's kind of a major part of who I am that like I value my sobriety more than anything. And, you know, I'm just a sober guy, basically. it. And that's the and that's the foundation for the principles that you have now to live by. That's really fueled a lot of your success in business as well. Dude, you're so right. Oh, my gosh. Like, yeah, I mean. Because in order to stay sober, like one of the main principles is you have to be like, you know, really honest with yourself, you know, because part of like, you know, not being sober is like, you know, you're lying all the time about your drinking and hiding it. And, you know, I I remember when I I like told my mom that I got straight A's, I literally like changed my report card. I was like 23 at the time. It shows my immaturity, you know, and like um, I tried to like make it seem like I got straight A's and I got straight F's. So like, you know, um, that's pretty, that's just, uh, you know, she kind of shows you the kind of lies that happen. So and the life lesson of you're only as sick as your secrets, right? So <laughs> yeah, absolutely. The, the freedom so, moment of now living, living in a different way, well, which, which I, I'm, I'm curious how you got how the, how the transition happened from you being there to now, uh, having experience working in a nonprofit, you know, it should be kind of the yeah, first, so, um, first antithesis stepping out of a life of yeah, absolutely. Know, full so self-centered I, focus. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I I ended up um, getting back into school, really enjoying school. I didn't get I, I kind of had I had dropped out of the honors program and and so I really just wanted to graduate at that time and I ended up um, I ended up making it on the dean's list before I got out, you know, and I got uh, I ended up um, that last that I was in on working in my third semester, uh, failing my third semester, and I was I had to go back to all my teachers and like tell them the truth about what was going on. And there's one guy, there's one guy teacher who was really awesome philosophy teacher. And he was like, um, I told him, I was like, look, um, you know, uh, his name was Tom. I was like, and they, he, they like in the philosophy department at U of A, you can like call your teachers by their first name. And I was like, Tom, so, um, you know, this is kind of what's going on and I'm, I'm failing, you know, this class and I haven't done my homework, but I'm willing to work really hard and I have a drinking problem, but I'm getting sober and like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to make it. I'm going to do everything I can to get a D in this class. <laughs> and he's like, he laughed. He's like, huh? Okay. Well, I would hope you'd have higher aspirations than a D. <laughs> and I was like, I think maybe you could get a B still, you know? And yeah. I was like, really? You think you could get a B? He's like, I think if you really work hard and you really put your mind to this and you do everything that I ask you to do, you could still get a B in this class. I really think it's possible. I was like, wow. I, I was actually kind of shocked by that. I, I honestly thought I could get a D would be the best I could do. So I ended up getting a B in that class and I got A's and B's to my last, uh, you know, 
three semesters. I think that last semester I did get like a couple, like a, maybe a couple C's. I didn't get any D's though, but you know, I, I ended up making it through and graduating college, graduating from the University of Arizona. Good school. Awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, I yeah. still am so proud of that degree. And it's amazing you know? how those memories of those, of that, those experiences of words of encouragement or, you know, someone that saw your inner strength that what that can pull out of you. You know, there's a, there's a guy that I follow on Facebook. Um, he is checking himself into a, re, a treatment center like today. And I just posted on his account that I'm 16 years sober and like, you can do this. And, um, when he, I want him to listen to, I really want him specific. I'm going to get him on the podcast. He's going to be on this podcast guaranteed. So like, um, he, I want him to tell some of the story. He's a roofing salesman. He's a very talented roofing salesman. I, I talked to him. I've gotten to know him a little bit. And, um, I think he has so much potential and I think, you know, um, you know, getting it, checking himself in a treatment center, he's, he's got like what he just found out that he got his, um, one of his, uh, he got his, his girlfriend pregnant. And so he's going to be a dad for the first time. So, you know, he's got a lot to live for. And, um, so I'm looking forward to having that guy, but you know, him, he's like symbolic of like so many people in our industry, you know, and I think there's just so many people out there who have drinking problems and have drug problems. And I just, you know, they can get past it, you know, and they can kind of, you know, start to realize their full potential. And so I think, um, you know, one thing that really helped me though, was getting, getting my, my first job out of college, which, um, was, uh, you know, it was, it was awesome. But at the same time, it was like very eye opening being out of college and in the real world and starting to kind of like, like I wasn't making any money. I was working at a nonprofit. What was that? What was that nonprofit you were at? Um, so that was a nonprofit on, um, we would help, uh, um, families in like low income neighborhoods to, with like drug addiction, alcohol treatment, and they had a financial literacy program that, um, I just was sort of drawn to. And, um, part of the reason I was drawn to is because I was working at the nonprofit during the day. I was making no money. Like, I mean, I'm talking like maybe 800 a month and barely able to survive. I I couldn't afford a car. I was literally riding my bike and I was working at a motel (laughs) at night. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So I'd work at the nonprofit from like eight to five and then I'd go to my motel job from six to 10 and, or no, sorry. Um, I went with the nonprofit from eight to five and then my motel job from like 11 to seven and the motel was across the street from the nonprofit office. So I could, I could finish work at the motel at seven and go straight to work at eight. And then I would finish work at five, ride my ass home on my bike (laughs) (laughs) and go to bed and I would sleep from like six to 10 and then get up at 10. Same get my thing. ass back on the bike and, like, wow. and get back to, to the motel. And I did that for like a year and a half. That's some serious, that crazy? serious career endurance training, just getting out of college and having that double back, you know, working two jobs at the same time and riding your bike uphill both ways. And <laughs> Yeah, it was, it was, it was so hard, man. I had no life, you know, and it was like, and it was very like discouraging because like here I am with like a college degree and I'm like living this way. I couldn't afford a car. That's the, that's the second education that happens after school is the, the school of hard knocks or the, the real life lessons of <laughs> yeah, yeah. where the rubber hits the road. Absolutely, man. It was really hard. Would, and so, um, would you say that that experience of being the financial literacy class and working two jobs, did that play any part in you uh, transitioning to your next step in your career of working for a mortgage company? Yeah. So what happened was um, 
I was working at that motel all night and like I started listening to those infomercials that come on about like real estate investing. (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, um, I started listening like not only, but like rich dad, poor dad, you probably heard, you know, you know that book. Oh yeah. So they had like a infomercials back then even. And there was this other like real estate guy that had infomercials and there was like, um, just all kinds of infomercials, self-improvement infomercials and stuff like that. So I started like kind of getting into that and I even like bought some of the programs, started listening to that. And, um, you know, working at the motel as an auditor that, you know, you, you don't have anything to do really. You, your job is only maybe two hours long and you check some people in in the morning and you know, you have a lot of downtime. So during the downtime, I'm just like listening to these CDs. I'm like reading these books that I was getting on the on the infomercial stuff. It was, it was very challenging for me back then though, because like I've, I kind of was, I don't know, I guess maybe society my taught me or my family taught me. I don't know. My life had taught me that infomercials at two o'clock in the morning are a scam. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's so a fairly like, safe assessment. It was very, and this is a theme that I feel like runs to my life even to this day, which is that like, I hear what my mind is saying, but I'm going to do it anyways. There was something about those infomercials that I was drawn to and I wanted to listen and I wanted to learn. Follow your intuition versus your, your, your better common sense. <laughs> well, it's just that, that, that feeling of sometimes like this is a scam, yeah. you know, why am I going to do that? It's a scam. Mm-hmm. So like, I just kind of got it anyway. I started listening, but part of what they were teaching in is that like sales is like the way to, you know, success. And, um, and they kind of start saying like, you know, learn to do sales any way you possibly can and like just start selling something. And I was like working at a nonprofit and like, what can I sell at a nonprofit? And what they started, what a big thing with nonprofits is fundraising. Mm-hmm. So like I went to the nonprofit, like I had this, like these new ideas in my mind and, um, and they're like, we need to raise some funds. We have this. I said, give me the phone. I was like the biggest hustler man. I was calling every <laughs> single one. Just like, can you donate? Can you donate? Can you donate? They're like, no, 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 no. I just said, like, can you donate? And somebody like, yeah. I was like, donate anything. Five dollars. A dollar. Like, I was basically trying to like get anything. a sale. Like something, you know? So I started, that's kind of what got me um, partly going into sales. Um, but then the- it's like, uh, it's like you discovered a whole new hunger inside of you. And didn't your dad did. work in sales too? Growing up, didn't you? I thought you, I thought, I thought you worked in- in some not, some degree, in his in his own way, way, my dad's always been a different something. type of hustle, not necessarily <laughs> official sales. Okay, yeah, he wasn't official sales, but um, we uh, I started getting being a fundraiser, and they were like, everybody was kind of looking at me like, damn, this guy's like, he's like an, an you're, animal. You're, you're you know? fundraising as if the money was going into your bank account. <laughs> yeah, that kind of enthusiasm, I was, but I was really just trying to adopt these ideas that I was learning, you know, and and then they had the financial literacy program, and I wanted to learn as much as I could about money. So I was like, you know, I'll learn about this financial literacy program and then I'll teach it and maybe I'll learn about money and I'll do whatever I can to start, you know, so I started meeting people in, in the program, like financial advisors, mortgage people, real estate people, realtors. Um, it was like a program where like if you completed the program, they would like give you some money to um, to like buy your first house. They had like a first time home buyer program. It was a really good program, really. So um, I met some really great people. and One of them was a financial advisor. And she, I went, I asked her if she would like give me some financial advice and I, I didn't, I was still riding my bike. I didn't really have any money, but like just, I thought just any advice for you to be able to quit one of your jobs. Yeah. It's just yeah. any advice. <laughs> <laughs> so I went and talked to her and she was like, well, you know, she's a consultant. She's like, you know, you don't have any money to invest. So I really can't help you there. Um, <laughs> but 
you know, she's like, I think the best financial advice I can give you is like, go into sales. I was like, yeah. And she's like, yeah. Like, you know, because I had like, I was going to see a financial advisor, advisor so I kind of like dressed up a little bit. I was wearing like a nice vest and like a tie. Like I looked, I was looking good. You know, I was looking sharp. And she was like, you're just, you know, I love the way you present yourself and you speak so well. And she's like, I just think you'd be such, such so great at sales, you know? And she's like, and I think your income would rise, would increase like a lot if you did that, you know? And An unexpected then, career counselor. Yeah, very unexpected. And she's like, and then come back and talk to me. Maybe can, we can talk about investing. I was like, that's a great idea. So, um, so that's kind of started my journey into looking for, um, a job in sales and, um, I happened to know somebody uh, who was um, kind of like a mentor of mine. He was a real estate investor. And um, I was thinking about going into financial services and kind of following in that person's footsteps who I was talking to. And But then I was also thinking about like real estate, like investing stuff. And um, I talked to him about like my new kind of like career approach that I wanted to do. And he was like, Armando, like you should get into mortgage lending. I was like, really? He's like, yeah, like I invest in real estate and I need loans. And what year was this? Do you recall it was 2005? Uh, yeah, that's a really good question. This is like mid 2004. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So um, somewhere around there. So, he so the was real like, estate market uh, is getting hotter and hotter yeah, and hotter. So you got to 2008. It was getting pretty hot. It was getting pretty hot. Yeah. So being in the mortgage side of things was. was it was, it was good. It was a good was place good. to be at the time. Dude, I got so freaking lucky. Okay. So like what happened was. Um, um, he convinced me to, he's like, look, if you get into mortgage lending, I will be your customer. You got a guaranteed customer right away. And I was like, okay. You know, and I was, t- <laughs> I was actually taking a training class with like New York life at the time, which is like an awesome training though. And I did like two weeks in it sales training. So I was like really good. And then I like dropped out and I just like jumped into trying to do mortgage lending. I was like such a bonehead, <laughs> such a knucklehead because I like worked with, um, like some some guy pretty much worked out of his house doing mortgages and I was like supposed to be the guy who's going to start the branch and I didn't even know anything about like what I was doing and I was supposed to be the guy who starts the branch <laughs> like <laughs> that just kind of goes to show you I was taking the wrong approach already but the um the the mentor guy that I had um he told me that um I should come to his group. He had like a like a networking group and there was going to be a mortgage guy there who was like very well known and he um, would, you know, he's going to do a talk and that it'd be great for me to meet him. The thing is, like, I was working with this guy who's working from home and I was supposed to be like the branch manager. So I got very intimidated by like a superior appeared to be a competitor. I mean, the truth is that I was really not a competitor. Like he could blow me out of the water, like no problem. <laughs> but like, that's what was going on in my mind. So I was kind of like too intimidated to um, to talk to him. And again, I had to just kind of like put that out of my mind, forget about like my what what you know my mind was kind of doing. And I just he was sitting there like by himself reading a book before the networking event. I got there early, and he um, I went I just went right up to him and started talking to him. You know, just kind of put myself out there, and he we kind of hit it off a little bit. He thought it was a little unusual. He's like why are you just kind of coming to me and talking to me like this? Like, who are you? You know, what do you want? And, um, but I kind of told him a little bit about my story and he was like, you know, Armando, there's a guy at the mortgage company who I think you would, um, work with really well. And he's very successful. He's actually a partner in the company. And I heard that he's hiring one more person 
and um, I don't know why, but I just feel like maybe, you know, I could help you get an interview. And I was like, really? I was like, you would, um, I would, I would be so grateful to you if you did that. And I, I would, you know, I kind of got humble and stuff and he was like, yeah, yeah, I'll do that. And so he, um, helped me get an interview and, uh, and ended up, um, interviewing really well. And, and, uh, you know, his name was Joel and he took me under his wing and he, uh, I started working with him. I, um, just to kind of give you a little illustration of this time. So like I, I was working at the nonprofit still, I, and I, I quit, I gave them notice and we went out to lunch like the very last day I was there. And that was like a Friday or something. And we went to this like little tiny hole in the wall type thing and like, um, got some tacos and we, at the end of the, at the end of the, um, the lunch, like everybody was fighting about like, you know, who's going to pay, you know, whose bill and like nobody wanted to pay. And like, it was like that scenario. And, um, and when I went to the mortgage company the first day, he like summoned everybody up this team and he's like, okay guys, today we're going to lunch across the street over at uh, McMahon's and, um, you know, I got a, uh, I got a, a room reserved and, you know, I want you guys all to meet Armando and, you know, we're going to talk about some things in the team we need to talk about. You have like a, like an office meeting and, you know, we're going to, um, so make sure you're there for lunch. And so everybody's like, yep, you got it boss. No problem. You know? So, um, I went, McMahon's is like the nicest steakhouse in Tucson. All right. <laughs> so like we went there and we had a private room and like this round table. I mean, I was like, talk about intimidated. I was like, what the fuck did I just walk into? You I'm know, sort of, I'm sort of picturing Will Smith in the pursuit of happiness here where he's showing up with to the interview without a shirt on or going from the position of, you know, yeah. Rags to stepping into the, into a scene where you just seeing people roll up in red convertibles and he doesn't yeah. have $5 in his pocket. So is that you uh, in that, the scene? Yeah. That was man. I was so broke. Like I had like no money. It was like, it was scary pretty much. So, like, um, but we went in there and he's just like, Hey, everybody order whatever you want. You know, it was very expensive. I mean, a hamburger was literally $20. Okay. So like it was, you know, he's like, and you know, what's so cool. I kind of started to learn is like all the team members, they all ordered burgers. Nobody wanted to take advantage of him. That's how much they respected this guy. And I, uh, I ordered a burger also <laughs> didn't want to be different. And, um, and so, uh, you know, he took me under his wing and he showed me everything. He showed me so much. It was crazy. Like I ended up, uh, it was a big struggle. It was a hundred percent commission job. So like, you know, um, but I, I, man, I like called every single person I knew from the social services, you know, network that I hadn't met. And I was like on the phone, just dialing, dialing, trying to make, hey, I'm doing mortgages now, I'm doing mortgages now, you know, and like just telling everybody I knew, man, I was trying Getting to like, the word out. just trying to sell a damn mortgage, you know, and like <laughs> nobody knew me, I was brand new, but I had this team behind me now, so I had like some confidence. I had Joel backing me up, and I had, you know, his processor, and I had this other team, these, these people, like we had an office, I, you know, I was like feeling a lot more confident now. So I did it, and I ended up, um, Man, for like three months having like no income, I don't even know how I made it. I like scraped by and um, and then I got my first sale and it like closed and stuff. And like this guy was trying to walk out, trying to not close, sign the documents like the night before. And like he called me in the morning. Well, no, he the morning of he called me in the morning. I'm literally in bed and he's like, Armand, I don't know if I can do this. Like I've been saving my money and you know, this $40,000 is like all I have. This is like a, 
hardworking tradesman guy, you know, blue collar guy who saved 40,000 fucking dollars. Okay. And yeah. like, he is going to drop it on his, buying his house on his first house. Yeah. And I was his, his loan, his mortgage guy. So I was like, okay, all right. You know, I listened, I did my best. And, um, I, I cared about this guy, but like, you know, back then I was just, I wanted that commission, you know, I just really wanted that commission. And I basically figured out whatever I could do to like keep him in the deal. And he, he stuck with the deal. It wasn't like a bad deal for him. He's buying a house. And like when the market was hot, he probably made a lot of money on that anyways. But like the idea here was that that's kind of where my mindset was at was I just wanted to get the commission, you know, and that's kind of what, um, started to lead to really bad situation for me. Like it led to like, you know, people could kind of sense that people could tell about that. My, the guy who was like mentoring me, Joel, he could feel that I was starting to get some customer complaints. I was making some money. I was making sales, but I was getting customer complaints. People weren't really, I I was also, I wasn't being as successful that like everybody kind of thought I was going to be, you know, not really implementing that customer centric philosophy. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. Like that, those, those are the key words, customer centric, you know, that's kind of what I, um, so Joel called me into his office one day and he's just like, Hey, Armando, look, I mean, um, you know, he kind of, we had a heart to heart conversation and he basically was telling me that I'm going to get fired, you know, and like, uh, that, you know, he's kind of, you know, had it up to here with me. And cause I was like doing everything I could, I mean, um, bending the truth, you know, and just kind of like, you know, I mean, I'm bending the truth is basically another way to say that I was lying, you know? So like, I was definitely lying and like, you know, um, but in mortgages, it's like, you know, just making excuses for it. And he saw that. So he was like, look, man, you're pretty much, you're pretty much gone. Like I don't really fire anybody, but you know, and I basically begged him for one more chance. And, um, and he was like, he had a, he, that's when he really, that's when I really learned. He's like, look, Armando, after all the heart to heart conversation, he was saying, he's like, look, if you just do the right thing for the customer and make that your number one goal, do the right thing for the customer, you will make more money than you ever imagined. Boom. That's what I needed to hear. You know, like, don't worry about the commission. Don't worry about your income. Don't worry so much about you, like worry about them and doing the right thing for it. And that's when I learned like, 100% 100% like customer centric philosophy salesmen that are really just out to feed their own feed their own pocketbook versus the interests of that, that the people are talking to are a dime a dozen so you can make money doing that you know yeah, I think you can make an income doing that but the like, world doesn't need any more of those yeah I don't want to do that man <laughs> I really I'm not that doesn't excite me that doesn't inspire me I, and, and, and I was I already learned my lesson that I was about to get fired doing that you know, so like it wasn't getting taken me anywhere. So once he kind of drilled that into my into my head and he, he gave me one more chance, I was so grateful. I was like I was a new man after that, man. I even went back to some of the people I was working with and I told them, um, you know, hey, I like I screwed up and like, please forgive me. And like, I won't do that again. And I try to do my best, you know, and and I ended up like getting some new customers and stuff. But I really only did mortgages for like another year and a half or so after that. And mm-hmm. um and we, uh, that's when the mortgage, uh, the housing market started to go under in like, yeah. uh, 2007, 2007 or so late 2007. Hit. Yeah. Yeah. And the bubble yeah. popped. Yeah. Yeah. The bubble popped, man. And it was, um, it, it got, uh, you know, it was crazy. Cause like Joel called me in his office. He's like, Hey man, like I got to tell you like something really bad's going to happen. And I was like, what do you mean? He's like, it's going to be like really, really bad. And I was like, 
what the hell are you talking about? He's like, did you hear about New Century? And New Century was a like conglomerate like mortgage bank, huge, like potentially the biggest one. He's like, they just like went bankrupt. They just shut down. And I was like, what the hell? And he's like, and there's talks of like more mortgage companies like shutting down. And like, this is how we make our money with these companies. So like, it's, he's like, I, I don't know. It's, Show's over. <laughs> he wasn't that, he kind of still had some optimism left. Um, but he was just kind of saying something really bad's going to happen, you know? And it was pretty scary when like you get called into your boss's office and they're telling you that. And he was scared. Like, he's like, I'm selling everything. Wow. And I'm pretty sure he got stuck with like a huge, like million dollar property or something and had to like give it back to the bank or something crazy like that. Wow. But he, um, he, he was like really successful, like just turning and burning houses for the most part. Cause he was a mortgage broker, but he also flipped houses. Okay. So I mean, he, he made so much money. And one thing he taught me though, is like when he, that, during that conversation, he's like, look, I, you know where I live. I have a, a very modest house. You know, it's a three bedroom, two bath. My mortgage is 1200 a month. And I've never changed that, you know, since I started mortgages. He's like, he had like a brand new, like, um, Silverado truck and he also had, like a really nice BMW like 7 series <laughs> but like he's like I only have those cars cuz my partner told me that I should get them and I was stupid and listened to him so I wish I wouldn't even have those cars but like I'm okay financially because I've kept my overhead low so that was really something that I learned and um, that's a wise lesson yeah very wise yeah very wise but I was pretty much stupid anyways and I went and bought a new car right right after that <laughs> I bought a new Audi right after that and um, so we uh, you know I, I basically bought a new Audi and the the, the everything was going under you know and like uh, I pretty much lost my job after like two months of that and, and you were uh, living in your Audi no <laughs> well in a way I kind of was because um, what happened was the the industry went under everyone I lost my job I I, I remember having like one more loan that I was doing this this one woman who was just kind of like really wanted this loan. She was refinancing her house and she was taking a bunch of cash out of it. And she like really wanted that cash badly. And she was like, I was like, man, I don't even know if this is gonna happen. And she's like, come on, make it happen. So I made it happen, that was like my last loan. And, um, and then she, uh, I, I literally like put all my stuff, I put my, some stuff in storage and um, I, I just, you know, I've always had this like thing inside of me where I want to just kind of like get on an airplane, like drive away or just like get in a car and just drive away, you know, and like, um, you know, that's basically what I did. I got to like live that, that fantasy, I guess, because I ended up yet to Colorado. <laughs> uh, no, not yet. Not yet. That was, um, I ended up getting a, um, I ended up getting into a, uh, I bought the Audi and then I, I, I moved out, gave notice of where I was, I was moving. I was on like a month to month rent type thing. And I put some stuff in storage and then I put, I bought an air mattress that I could fit in the Audi. And then I bought, and I put some more stuff in it. And, um, my friend had a job in, in Texas that I could do. This is so random, but like being the manager of a Halloween store <laughs> like in, in Texas, they, um, I never do that. Yeah. In Texas, they, they, they're well, everywhere, you know, when Halloween happens, stores yeah. start popping oh, yeah. up. Well, they need people to manage those stores. Yeah. <laughs> and my friend was a regional manager for it. And he was like, man, I could get you a job as a manager. Like, no problem. Like, actually, I need you. Like, please come and work. And I was like, cool. He's like, you get a salary, you get bonuses. Like, it's only going to be for like two months, but you know, you'll at least have some work. I was like, let's do it, man. So I, um, it was kind of hard though. Cause like I was very, 
you know, I got sober in Tucson and I was very safe in Tucson. I felt very comfortable there. So like breaking out of that, I stayed there a long time, even though I didn't love it because I was just so comfortable. So breaking out of that shell was really challenging, but you know, um, this job was with a new car was a way to do it. And I had money saved and stuff too. So I got in the car and with my stuff and rolled the, put the, the, the sunroof down and took off, man. And I went and drove down to Texas after that. And was that your first experience as a manager? Uh, yes, that was, um, so one thing I learned when I was studying all those business books and stuff was they said, okay, number one thing you got to learn is sales. Number two thing you got to learn is management. Cause they're like teaching you how to be, you know, how to be like a billionaire basically. <laughs> so, um, so they said, learn sales, learn management. And I'm like, okay, so now I learned sales check off the box. Now it's time to learn management. So this opportunity was like a really cool opportunity. Cause I had to hire like literally 30 people like off the street, like right away, like in like a, literally a week. And I had to manage these people as well. So, um, so I did it, you know, I just jumped in and like, it's crazy, man. Like, um, you, you literally show up to like, a a, um, like a, like an empty old grocery store is like what I got. <laughs> and there's like just cream of the crop merchandise, dude, just like literally 50 feet long of just like Halloween merchandise. And like, you have to like set it all up and like make a store out of it. And consumerism was, bonanza. Yeah, it was, <laughs> it was crazy, man. So like I found a place to live, got a rent, rented a room and, and I started doing it, started, uh, you know, working that job, working hard, man. You work like 12 hours a day doing that, like seven days a week and awesome experience though. And I started, you know, I learned how to run like a, a 30 person team for the most part and wow. learned how to be kind of part of a team and, you know, started kind of learning, uh, starting dipping my toe in the water with management and hiring and having to fire people also. And a lot of hiring and firing in that. Yeah. yeah. So that, that like ran dry pretty quick and, and I um, ended up taking a little time off after that. It's kind of living on my savings and stuff. And, um, and then I savings got really low and that's when I, um, started to get kind of desperate, like for a job. And, uh, I basically was like, like in a really bad situation you know, financially, because I was not working for but a long time. The good news time. is you, you, ended up, you ended up eventually getting to a place where you were selling cell phones at a mall kiosk versus like giving <laughs> plasma or anything like that. You know? I didn't so have to give plasma, thank God. Yeah, I didn't have to do that. I was still sober, you know, so I, I kind of had a feeling that things would work out. But I went to a meeting and I told people, um, hey, uh, like, I need a job. Like, if anybody knows who's hiring, like, please tell me. I'm desperate. I'm about to get a job at, at, at uh, Circle K. They had Circle K's, like, where I lived in Tucson. And I was like, I was literally about to go and hire. I knew they would hire me. They said, now hiring, you know. So I just go in there and get a job. And um, and this guy came up to me after the meeting. He's like, hey, I don't know if you want to do this, but, like, if you want to um, sell phones in the, in the mall, and, like, it, you'd be surprised. You can actually make pretty good money. And I was like, really? I was like, man, those, like... You know, it's like guys who like harass you when you're in the mall. <laughs> He's like, yeah, it's look, it, it's not. He starts selling me on the job, you know, and I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, dude. He's like, you will get hired though. Like they, I mean, they kind of hire anybody. <laughs> I was like, okay. I was like, give me an interview. It's I'm done. The circle K and yeah, I, I was like, give me an interview. But then like, I had started having second thoughts, and um, I had like another mentor and at the time, and he was like, you need a job, you know, and like just go go in there and he literally stood on the phone with me all the way into the mall until I like 
you know, sat down with him and I saw the manager coming. I was like, okay, the manager's coming. I'm gonna do this interview. He's like, you can do this, you can do this. I was like, all right, cool. So I went, interviewed with him and the guy was like, liked me and he's like, yeah, you're hired and can you start tomorrow? And I'm like, absolutely, let's start. So I got an hourly pay. I got, um, you know, commission, some commission sales. And um, within a month, they had made me manager of the kiosk. I was very proud that's of that. That's pretty moment. terrific. Yeah, <laughs> that's that's, that's that's moving up and that's moving up in the small pond. <laughs> I moved quick, man. I moved I moved quick, and so we uh, the the one of the regional managers came down, and I knew something weird was going on because he's like, "Hey, you come with me." And we went to this other kiosk where there was like practically empty. There's only like one guy who just like sat there, and he's like, "You're gonna help me. We're gonna we're gonna get this kiosk going. We need to make some sales, and me and you are gonna get get it going." And I was like, "Okay," and. He's like, so start selling. And I'm like, okay. So I like, do you want a phone? Do you want a phone? Like, and I started to, uh, um, what was that? You were like, like you know, I, I think you've heard me say before, you're like, miss, 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 miss. <laughs> That's exactly <laughs> what I used to do. I'd be like, miss, 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 come here, miss, miss. And, like, and I'd like, you know, ask everybody. To, Excuse me, sir. I just need, real quick, I just need to talk to you. Yeah. I was just like hustling phones, man. And, and so, um, I, I feel very bad for those people at the mall. No. <laughs> I know me too. Me too. But they and, walked around with cell phones that they didn't know that they really wanted. So. Yeah, it was tough. It was very <laughs> humbling. I mean, I had a college degree, you know, I was a, this like big shot mortgage. When I was doing mortgages, they had a limo that you could like rent out and they're not rent out, but they would let you use it like once a week for marketing. I was like driving around a limo doing mortgages. Like now I'm like harassing people in the malls, extremely humbling experience. So, um, so moving to Colorado was, you know, was that kind of a welcome escape after, after your experience there? Well, just to kind of touch on the management piece of, of that kiosk was that like, you know, it, they, he basically said, okay, look, you, you prove yourself, you can sell phones. Now you got to prove yourself that you're a manager, hire a team here. This is your new kiosk. Like, welcome to the team. Congratulations on your promotion. Make it happen. Here's your play schedule, you know, start start hiring like there's you got a hiring pool right here all over you we're in the mall start hiring people <laughs> and i'm like really he's like yeah you need to have five people strong salespeople. he's like but they kind of they gave me some training they showed me how to do it and stuff and man i made that freaking kiosk like make some serious money like some serious i'm talking like 20 grand like one day selling phones sometimes and that's like big numbers for like a little mall in the kiosk a little kiosk in the mall was there any criteria that you were looking for when you're looking for employees potential sales candidates when you were looking for people in the mall the hungriest looking people yeah you know know, not really i mean they kind of gave us some guidelines but it was pretty much strictly gut intuition can this guy do it and then like there's a lot of people who i thought i was wrong about you know and i gave them a chance and they couldn't do it and um you know there was like i knew right away for the first 10 minutes if you could make it because like you got to, you know, get in the kiosk and start being like, you know, getting people to stop, you know, make, Hey, come here, come here, come here. You know, that, what kind of phone do you have? You know? And like, you got to be like, you just have to have this attitude where you just kind of like really high energy. I don't give a flying F and like, I'm going to sell something here. And like, that's the kind of attitude you have to have. And if you have yeah. any like shyness whatsoever, it will come out and it's gonna like, be squashed on the first day. Yeah. And I would tell people like, Hey, look, you can't do this. Like, this is so hard. Like you just can't do it. And people will tell me, yes, I can. Yes, I can. Yes, I can. And then like, um, I'd be like, okay, cool. Let's do it. And I'd get them out on the floor. Yeah. They wouldn't even talk to one person. Oh yeah. Yeah. Super yeah. Awkward. Like not even one person. They're just like standing around, looking around, looking on the floor. And it's like, oh, yeah. all right, well, hey, we give it a shot, you know? And, but you know, this isn't going to work out. 
but I definitely made it to where I had like a, a good solid core team, you know, I had a good solid five guys and we were making some serious money and I was, um, you know, trained them and I was their, I was their coach. I was their leader. And that was like a huge, you know, confidence booster where I could run a five man sales team and make them successful. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but that company that got bought transition. out. That company, uh, that company was, was bought out and, um, by T-Mobile, a corporation. Um, there was also a lot of shady stuff going on in that company and not a thing with my booth, but like with my kiosk, but like, you know, all over company wide, it was just some really bad stuff going on. Like people activating, like you, like we would get a customer who would come and like, you know, apply for a plan, you know, and the computer would say like, yeah, you're approved for like five phones. So we would tell them, Hey, you're approved, you know, this and that. And they'd be like, well, you know, I don't really want it. I'm just going to think about it. And they walk away. So like this didn't happen at my kiosk, but and other people around the country, like when you walked away and if you didn't see that, like they X'd out of it, they'll straight up activate five phones in your name to try and get the sale. That's a, that's, that's a <laughs> mall kiosk identity theft. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And that was happening like a lot. And there's some other stuff, but that was just an example of how like things were bad. So T-Mobile did not want to hire us really people from that company. <laughs> <laughs> and like I went Surprise. and, um, yeah, but like. That's kind of what brought me to Colorado is that I, I was, you know, the company was going under. I thought I was going to move to Phoenix at first because they were hiring in Phoenix. And I thought, you know, I'm in Tucson. I'll go to Phoenix. But I just started to think about my life a little bit more. You know, I started to really like wonder, like, what do I really want? You know, what's going to really make me happy? And I, I actually asked myself this question, like, what's really going to make me happy? What do I really want? And the answer that came to me was snowboarding. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if I could just snowboard like as much as possible. I would be so happy, you know? And so like, I just love being up on the mountain, going down the hill, you know, the wind in your, wind in your hair, but now we have to wear helmets. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, um, but yeah, just going down the mountain, I just loved it. So that's kind of what I thought, man, like if I could have my cake and eat it too, I would like live in Vail, Colorado. This is like me thinking back then, like I would live in Vail and I would just snowboard like all the time. And so I thought, what's the next yeah. best thing of living to in Vail? That's um, that's going to be, uh, you know, I'll li maybe Denver, you know, not too far from from Vail. And so I started to kind of think about moving to Denver, and um, and I actually got like um, I thought about living in all these different cities as well, and I did like a pros and cons list of all these different cities like California and Seattle and Portland, Portland and. Uh, even Northern California and like, you know, uh, LA and San Diego. And I already said that, but, um, I don't know every cool city I could think of, you know, Austin, San Antonio, like some places in Texas. And, um, there's so many cool places, but Denver was one of them. And I did like a pros and cons list of all of them. And Denver was kind of the one that like stood out. And, um, so I kind of got, I went and talked to the, um, management, uh, where, cause I still, we weren't like fired yet. We had like a month to kind of figure it out. So like I went and talked to the management and I said, Hey, can you guys give me an interview with T-Mobile in Colorado? And they're like, what Colorado? What are you talking about? And I was like, why don't you just go to Phoenix? They have jobs. They'll snowboard might be a little bit harder there. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it was. I hardly got to snowboard in, in Arizona and I loved it. You know, it was really a big bummer for me. And so, um, so, uh, yeah, they got me an interview in Colorado and they're like, okay, there's, they're willing to interview you. So, you know, and like one, a huge 
advantage that I've always had is that I'm bilingual, English and Spanish. Mm -hmm. So I like told them, tell them that I speak Spanish, you know, and I'll work in like a Spanish speaking store. Like they'll probably love that. So they kind of did that. And yep. I got an interview with the lady who runs the, the T-Mobile in Aurora, Colorado. And so I went and interviewed with her and stuff. And what she said was, you know, we don't hire people from the company that you were with because so much bad stuff went on. She's like, but, <laughs> but the only reason I'm interviewing you is because, um, I asked your managers and you were about the only guy in Colorado who was able to keep your salespeople longer than anybody else. You, you did have some turnover, but you had the core guys all the way to the, I had, I had this, the like three guys kind of stayed with me to the very last day that we shut down. Wow. And yeah, yeah. So she's like, you, those guys stay with you at the very end. And that didn't happen for like anybody over there. Like everybody <laughs> quit as soon as they heard they're getting bought out. And she's like, and that says something about you, about, you know, why they stayed with you. How are you able to rally even these three guys, you know? Yeah. And she's like, so that's why we're talking to you. And I was like, well, thank you so much. And I, you know, kept going with the interview and like, I won't let you down and I'll work very hard and, you know, I'll do everything you guys ask. And they're like, okay, cool. She's like, she's like, but you live in Arizona. And I'm like, yeah, I'm moving here. Because what happened was <laughs> I... Um, I'll be here tomorrow with my Audi. I, no, I, I was, I had already decided whether they hired me or not. I was moving because in Arizona... It, it was like mid-May and it was like literally like 115 degrees wow. in the airport. And I, I landed here and it was like 80 degrees. I literally like went outside at the Denver airport, put my arms out and I was like, like in heaven. I like, I, <laughs> I like yelled, like I was like, ah, and, um, and I'm sure people were looking at me like really weird because I was acting like a freak. And, um, and I was, I, when I, when I, got that feeling i knew i'm moving here like yeah. no doubt i don't care if they hire me or not i'm coming here this is my city so um so i told her that i was moving here anyways and i was like you know i'd love to i really want to work here and she was like okay great she's like well when are you going to be here and i was like in a couple of weeks so um so yeah man i like made it happen and um got an apartment here and you know um stayed for a couple of days and in that time i you know made a deposit in an apartment and I ended up, uh, you know, packing all my stuff and, and I sold almost everything I had in, in Arizona and, um, packed what I could in my car and drove down here in, uh, drove down into Colorado and moved here. So tell me a little bit about, so that after getting to Colorado, the transition from working in T-Mobile to, to being now where you're at in the roofing industry and, you know, and, and so, also the, yeah. the, the event that happened that kind of limited your snowboarding dreams. Yeah. So what happened was, so what happened was I moved to Colorado and, um, I started working at T-Mobile. The problem with like working at a job where you're like working hourly and getting some commission is that, and, and have already worked at the mortgage company and seen like what kind of money is out there and like how successful you can be doing sales. I had like a taste of blood, so to speak at the mortgage company. You're eating steak and then you went back to Rob. <laughs> Yes, I was quite literally. Um, yeah, so I kind of realized that there's so much more out there. So I had my heart set on leaving T-Mobile and saving money and getting back into commission sales, selling something. I didn't know what it was going to be. I didn't even know about roofing at that time. Like I didn't even know about hail, about roofing, none of that stuff. Have you ever seen a hailstorm before in no, your life? I didn't even heard of hail. Like I kind of knew what the word was a little bit, but like I, I didn't really know what hail was. <laughs> for the most part. So I, um, so what happened was I just kind of like, I was able to save some money. I worked with T-Mobile for about a year and a half and, 
Um, I gave them my notice and I, I got a job selling like computer parts or something like uh, like computer parts, basically like, um, you know, commission based. There was like a very small salary, but um, I just I couldn't do it. I was like in a cubicle and I was just I just couldn't do it. I, you know, I, I need to be out and it was just not working out for me. So I only lasted a couple months. And then um, so that jumped around to another job um, working for like an insurance agent. And, um, you know, he was they were this it was like a family and they were trying to open like multiple offices of this like franchise thing. And I was going to be the guy that was going to like, you know, help them expand and sell the franchises and make a bunch of money, you know, selling franchises and selling insurance and all that stuff. So it's pretty exciting at first, but it fizzled out pretty quick. They like struggled to like pay me like my paycheck once. <laughs> I was like, yeah, brother. This is not good, man. I'm starting to run out of money. And I'm starting to get discouraged and I'm starting to really lose faith thinking I'm going to have to go back to selling phones, you know? Yeah. So, um, there was a girl at one of the meetings that came, that, um, came to the meeting at the very end of the night. It was like eight o'clock and we were all like done with the meeting and she like rolled up like at night. This was during the summer and she was like, oh my gosh, I've been so busy today. I wanted to make this meeting, but I'm late and like this and that. And she was, uh, she had been out. She's like, I've been selling so many roofs like all day long. Like, it's just crazy. We just got this big hailstorm. There's going to be like work for like two years. And like, I'm like so excited. Like, I can't believe this. And like, she was like on a high, like she, you could just sense it, you know? And I was like, what is she talking about? <laughs> and I was like, it like planted a seed in my in my mind and and then i had been acquainted with another guy really cool mellow guy he's apparently had a roofing company i didn't really think anything of it at the time but like i just was like oh you have a roofing company cool you know i didn't i didn't really know like that there was like a huge industry of roofing and like it was this like giant thing of like hailstorms and other like than every house and building has one you didn't really know much other than that yeah, yeah. pretty much yeah, i was telling my nephew that like i I, um, the only thing I knew about roofing was that we would get on the roof in the summer in Vegas and like watch fireworks. That's yeah. about all I knew about a roof, you know? So, um, so I, but like I was struggling one night and I, this is at this time I was practicing a lot of yoga. And, um, so I'm like, you know, driving home from this job that I pretty much hated and I knew wasn't going to work out and like I'm running out of money and I'm thinking I'm going to have to go back to selling phones and, I'm just kind of like super discouraged and like, I was like, you know, stressed out, overwhelmed, just that kind of feeling, you know? And, um, I started, I thought, you know, I'm just going to go to a yoga class, you know? And, um, but I also had another thought that like, um, maybe I should talk to that guy who's a roofing company about selling roofs, you know? And like, maybe that could be something. And then, and I thought, and the next thought was like, well, I don't have his contact info. I mean, I don't even know his number. I guess I'll have to try and find it, try to track him down. I don't know. And then the thought left, you know, so I go drive into my yoga class and, um, I go park, start walking in, open the door. Danny is standing right there. He's the owner of the roofing company. The guy that I just had a thought about. (laughs) I'm like, (laughs) (laughs) I was like, Whoa, this is freaky. Like what are the chances of running into this guy like I just thought about like this is weird it. it was it was it was uh, it was you know I look back on that moment now and I start to see that like this is what I was called to do you know and it's like pretty awesome to be able 
to like go in the direction of like your calling. And you how, know? how many years ago was that now that, that you met Danny on that fateful night? How many years have you been in roofing? That's about seven and a half years ago. Seven and a half years. Yeah. Wow. That was in, uh, that was in February of 2011. Yeah. So, um, it was cold that February, <laughs> cold winter night that night. Yeah. And, and so we, um, but I, I was too nervous to eat. I was too freaked out and stunned to even talk to him about it really quick. I just said like, hi. And then like we went to the yoga class and then like after we in the locker room, I kind of talked to him a little bit about it. And I was like, Hey, um, like, do you need any salespeople by any chance? And he's like, Oh my gosh. Yes, absolutely. Like you'd be great at this. You'd be great at, you know, this and that. <laughs> and I was like, he's like, I have a sales manager and I'll team you up with him and he'll train you and like this and that. And I was like, that's great. Like, let's do this. Like, when do I start? Like, I'll start right away, you know? And he was like, great. Like, we'll get you going. And so, um, he got me with a sales manager and this sales manager was like a sales beast. I mean, he was like a door knocking maniac. I mean, he would knock on doors literally all day long for like five hours a day. ABC always be closing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I followed him, you know, so like he basically started teaching me everything he knew about, you know, knocking on doors. And like, I was really sketched out though. Cause like, I didn't realize really that like you have to generate business by canvassing and like knocking on somebody's door and asking them to buy a roof, like door to door sales. That's kind of an art of the past before the internet and telephones, people knocking door to door and it's, yeah, definitely a lot of, I mean, I thought like hawking people at the mall was bad. (laughs) This was like so much worse, you know? And I didn't realize that, but I was, I was, I mean, I was desperate, you know, I didn't really have anything else. There's no other way to make this work, you know? So, um, I had to do it and, uh, I started doing it. And so what happened was he, he was like, he told me about this one certain kind of roof. He's like, so you see that roof right there? I was like, yeah, he's like, that's called a T-lock. He's like those, um, if, if you can, you know, if we get a cl- insurance adjuster comes out and looks at a T-lock 100% sale, they're going to buy it. They're going to, they're going to pay for a new roof replacement. So I was like, really? And he's like, yeah, because when hail hits a roof that's discontinued, then there's no way to repair it. You know, you have to replace the whole thing. And that's exactly the case with that. And I was like, oh, wow. So um, we like roll up to this neighborhood and he's like, oh, here, here's a T-lock. And he's like, and I could tell that he was going to like try, you know, he's going to go knock the door himself. So like the second we pull up, I like open the door and I literally like ran to their, ran to their door and like knocked on it and they were interested <laughs> and that was my first sale with, uh, with roofing. And so they, um, they, uh, they gave me the sale. It was a really good size roof, like a $20,000 sale, you know, and the insurance company came, paid for it, got it all going. And, um, you know, and that, that was basically my first sale. And that was there the beginning hooked. of the end from there. Like, yeah, I sold like 20 jobs that first day. Like wow. I was selling roofs in February. It's like literally my first out day out there knocking on doors literally started to snow at like four o'clock in the afternoon and I didn't care. I just went out there and kept selling. They probably talked to you just by the fact that there was a dude knocking on the door, standing out in the cold. <laughs> well, you know, yeah. I mean, I had a pretty good pitch. Like, what's this guy all about? Yeah. They were, yeah. I mean, I, you know, honestly, I think they could see that I really wanted to help them, you know? I, and I, and I knew that like we could help them. I mean, I was shocked that like the insurance company would pay for a, a $20,000 roof and you would just pay your deductible. Like yeah. that to me was a little like, wow, like that actually happens. And I, I was, cause I was first introduced to roofing. I didn't even realize that that was the situation, you know? And so, 
um, I was like, just kind of like, you know, pretty, pretty, uh, floored from that. And so I knew I could, and the, and I, and I trusted my, the people I was working with and like, I knew we could put the roof on. He took me to a bunch of jobs. I see they could do it. So like, I genuinely believed I could help these people. So yeah. I went out there and I think they could see that. And I was like, I can help you get a new roof. Like the insurance will pay for it. And a lot of people don't even, didn't even realize that back then. And they're like, really insurance will pay for it. I'm like, yeah, absolutely. I'll, I'll help you. I'll meet with your adjuster. We'll get it all approved and you just pay your deductible and this and that. And, and so, um, they were like, uh, so I, I ended up selling quite a few jobs that, that first uh, 20 jobs, like that first month. That was like a lot. That's probably the most I've ever sold in my life, I think, and having, to this day. And having sold, <laughs> having to have it such great success right off the start after, and, and also the combination of that and breaking your leg and, and that dashing your snowboarding dreams. How did that play well, into your, the to your next adventures? Leg, that was, I... I um, broke my leg before all of that. Right. So I was pretty much healed after that, you know, and um, and so I, the breaking that was a really bad, you know, whole experience and everything. But I mean, I just kind of hung in there. But your vacation was a little bit curbed after that from spending, you know, spending your your time after all that success snowboarding. Yeah. To to instead taking a, okay. an awesome trip. So yeah. So okay. So what happened was then I ended up. Um, I ended up uh, working with these with these with Danny and and his sales manager and stuff, and we ended up um, we ended up kind of starting to butt heads, you know, and and that's kind of one thing that's hard about working with friends, you know, is that you that can happen, you know, and it, and it kind of like can turn into a bad situation, and so we um, and it kind of did, you know, things it got turned kind of bad. And the thing is, like, I'm a very free spirited person. And they were like micromanaging the hell out of me, you know, and like I'm getting called at like, you know, Saturday morning at 8 a.m. And like he's asking me how many doors I'm going to knock that day, you know, and I wanted to take the damn day off, you know. And so like yeah. um, I got into this business because I wanted the freedom of like um, my schedule. I had I wanted flexibility in my schedule, the freedom to come and go as I please. You know, I wanted I just wanted the freedom and they wanted to just make a bunch of money, you know. So like, yeah. which I mean, I respected that, but like I felt like I wasn't really being you know reciprocating that 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 respect so things weren't working out and they kind of started to hint that they're gonna like let me go so yeah. I started to um, look on Craigslist and I like interviewed with every single person on Craigslist I called them at least at some phone interviews and some face-to-face -face, and I felt like I could not work with any of these people I didn't have any good chemistry with them and I don't want to knock like people in the roofing business but I just didn't I just didn't have good chemistry and I felt like I just felt like I couldn't trust anybody, you know, any of these people. And I really wanted to work with somebody I could trust. So um, it was a big deal to me. And that's when I, um, you know, and even Brian, the guy I work with now, like I didn't necessarily trust him right off the bat really, but he was kind of like, he was the guy that was a little more like straight up, you know, and like mm -hmm. just kind of told me it was kind of, um, you know, what he could do and, you know, what he could, what he had to offer and, the thing about with roofing sales is that, you know, every company is recruiting salespeople all the time because it doesn't really cost them anything to bring on a salesperson for the most part. So, um, so that's kind of like the nature of the business, you know, and, and yeah. it's, it can cause some pretty big problems with like, you know, unscrupulous people. And, you know, a lot of times, uh, you know, you get roofing people in the news, taking money and never doing the job. And, and that's you know, the most important factor when it comes to doing anything with someone's home is, is trust. Absolutely. It's huge. It's huge. You know, so Brian gave me a chance and Brian said, Brian was willing to pay me the most as well. And so, um, 
So the thing is back then, like it was, you were, you could quote wave deductibles. So that's kind of a controversial subject in my business in this industry is that back then, um, you, it was now it's not allowed. It's like, it's literally illegal to waive deductibles back then. It was like totally allowed. So like, um, what I ended up doing was, uh, you know, they let me go. So Danny fired me. <laughs> Let's make that clear. <laughs> Danny fired me and was like, you're done. Have a nice life, you know, see you later. Um, and so like, you know, just cause I wasn't doing, you know, what they wanted me to do and stuff and it just wasn't working out. So, um, so they let me go. And as soon as they let me go, I went over, started working with Brian and, um, he didn't, he was very like, he was like, do whatever. I'm so busy that I don't have time to like micromanage you. I kind of yeah. don't really care what you do. Bring me the jobs and I'll fit and I'll get them done. That's yeah. basically his philosophy. And I was like, all right, cool. So, um, and I was like, well, what about like deductibles? Cause Danny would not let us like ever wave deductibles and deductibles, you know, you make less money in commission, but you still can sell the job, you know? So, but Brian was like, I don't care. Do whatever you want. Like sell whatever you want, do whatever you want. Just bring me the job and I'll get it done. And I was like, okay, cool. So I'd like call, followed up on like all my, all these customers that I had like in my, my notebook back then, you know? Uh And, and I was like, Hey, I got a promotion. I can help you out. Uh, I get you a roof and you don't have to even pay your deductible. And they're like, (laughs) really? I was like, yeah. Save you a thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah. And I like sold roofs, like pretty quick. And I end up like giving him like all these jobs, like really quick. And by like, that was like in August of, um, 2011. And by December I had made, I had made quite a bit of money and I had like some really good money saved. And, um, so what happened there was, um, I ended up, uh, um, so like the winter was coming, right? And this is kind of what speaks to what you were talking about was as far as like my dream was to snowboard all the time, but I had broken my leg and you know, I wasn't very excited about snowboarding anymore. I kind of like lost the fire for snowboarding, you know? And, and I really didn't, I really, I didn't want to buy a pass. I didn't want to, I honestly didn't really want to snowboard, which is kind of crazy for me, you know? So I thought, what else could I do this winter? And like my lifelong dream, like, has always been to like go on a Hawaiian adventure vacation. <laughs> and that's exactly what I did. I, uh, I talked to another mentor that I have. I'm a big believer in mentors, always having mentors around you being mentored all the time, no matter how high up you go in the ladder. I think we all need mentors. So I had a mentor and he was like, buy the, t-. he actually was like, I'm going to wait on the phone while you buy your ticket to Hawaii. Cause I was like, so sketched out. Like, I can't do this. I can't, I got to work. I got to do this. I got life. I really didn't. I was a single guy. I had like hardly any overhead. I was driving a 1991 Volvo station wagon. <laughs> you probably remember that <laughs> <I can't>. car. <laughs> and like, so I had like a little tiny $500 apartment, you know, a studio apartment. And like, I could do it. I could totally have, you know, so he's like, do it. So I, I bought the ticket and in uh, January 10th, 2012, I went to Hawaii for three months and had the time of my life, you know, <laughs> thanks to roofing. You know, I like snowboard and snowboard. I, I learned how to surf. I did a whole bunch of yoga. I hung out on the beach all winter. I was just like a beach bum. I took my, my bike, my cycling bike, and I went cycling all around Maui like all the time. I mean, it was the one of the greatest times of my life, you know? And, um, and so, uh, met um, so many amazing people, just incredible people that I met, you know, it was just, it was just, it was everything that I thought it would, was going to be, you know? And, and so, um, 
when I got back from Hawaii, met you. I didn't meet yeah. you, but we got hooked back up, you know, and like I was pretty broke at that point and um, I really <laughs> needed to get back out there. But the thing is that that first year I was in roofing, I really hated canvassing a lot. And I thought about quitting like all the time, like almost every day. And um, I thought this was, and I working with Brian was like my last ditch effort to, um, to stay in this business, you know? And, and so, and it started to work out. But after I got back from Hawaii, I like realized that like this business allowed me to accomplish this huge dream. Like if roofing equals Hawaii, then in yes, <laughs> I was like I came back with like a biggest fire in my belly, knocking on doors, canvassing for hours at a time, just just making it happen. Sold a bunch more roofs after that, and that was it. There's no going back at that point. I was going to be a roofing salesman for life, and that's turned into your seven year long career and. Yeah. Yeah. That kind of was kind of led to what it is not right now. Yeah. So it, it ended up, you know, um, I kind of worked as a, as a rep and, you know, did pretty well with that. And then, um, I kind of started to want more and a lot more out of life. And I met my wife, Annie, pretty soon after I got back from Hawaii and I, I really wanted to, to, you know, settle down. I wanted to have a family. I started thinking about that kind of stuff and, you know, and she's amazing and she's beautiful. And I was like, Hey, I'll do it with her. <laughs> you know, let's do And she was looking for the same thing I was looking for. So we, um, we started to date and I started to work even more. And then pretty soon after that, like I, um, within that same year, um, I asked to be a sales manager, you know, and, um, uh, Brian actually didn't want to give me the opportunity at first. He didn't think I was ready. So I went to a different company. I quit um, Rocky Mountain and went to a different company and they gave me the chance to be a sales manager. And um, so I, uh, I quit and I left, you know, and that was pretty, pretty crazy for me, you know? And yeah. so um, Brian uh, called me back like a month later and was like, hey man, this company needs you, you know, I'll, I'll make you a sales manager. I'll, you know, I'm gonna pay you more money and give me a raise and I want you to recruit people. and. I want you to, you know, make it happen and, and I'll pay you really well and this and that. And I was like, wow, like that's a pretty big change of heart, you know? And so he, um, and I still negotiated with him a little bit more, you know? And so we, we negotiated and we hammered out a deal and I went back to Rocky mountain and was a sales manager for a long time. And, you know, and then, uh, Brian, uh, Brian ended up kind of like wanting to get in other businesses, you know, and just kind of wanted to just do different things, you know, bigger, bigger and better things. And, um, I was, I was still loving, I loved being in the roofing business and I was still loving my job, but it was getting a little frustrating because Brian, um, was like kind of out doing other businesses. So he wasn't paying his full attention to the, to the, to the company, you know, to the roofing company. And so I told him, I said, Hey man, like you really, I need you to like, I had a team behind me and this team like was relying on us, you know? And so I was like, I had like a four man team. And, uh, I said, you know, um, you got to figure out like, wh what are we going to do here? Like, I can't keep recruiting people and selling jobs. And like, you're, you're, you're kind of not here. You're, you know, kind of like half here. He's like, you know, he's like, I, I realize that I'm sorry. And I do have a plan and this is what it is. And we brought, he made me a partner in the company and he also made Edith a partner in the company. And uh, Edith is a, an office manager. She was the first hire of Rocky mountain roofing. And, uh, she, uh, came on, came on board as a partner and I was partner and Brian's kind of started to step away and, and leaving Edith and I in charge of the company to day-to-day -day operations. 
Wow. So that was about three years ago. Yeah. And so we've uh, been growing year after year, you know, and, um, it's a a culmination of being able to use your sales tech, your, your sales experience and your, and your manager experience as well. And running a company for the first time, man, it's been such a struggle though with leadership. Leadership is so freaking hard. I can't (laughs) even, it's, I still struggle with it. It is so hard. Like it's to get a team to rally behind you and, you know, is like, the most cha- way harder than sales, way Absolutely. harder than sales, you know, like sales is easy at this point for me. I'm just kind of like, you know, uh, just I'm talking to people. Yeah. But leadership is like this whole leadership other, is like inspiring people. Yes. Inspiring and leading and like, you know, and I've, I had a, a, a salesman that ended up not working out and he, he was, you know, he was really like point blank told me, Armando, you, you need to learn, you, you know, maybe I need to work on my, on my abilities and my talents and my, you know, my paperwork and stuff like that. Cause I was getting on him about his paperwork. He's like, you need to work on your damn leadership <laughs> told me straight up. Wow. And I was like, damn, you know? And so, um, uh, you know, it, he, I ended up like starting to listen to a whole bunch of like leadership tapes and learning about leadership. And, you know, um, now I'm like, I love learning about leadership. I learn as much as I possibly can about it, you know, so it's kind of a huge, uh, huge deal to me, but and that's, that's kind of a tie into the purpose of behind this whole podcast in general is, is that you want to be able to pass on what you've, what your experience has been, what you're, what you've learned so far. I mean, I really do. Yeah, I really do. So, I mean, this podcast, like, you know, is mentioning from the very beginning is I want customers to kind of, you know, get to know me a little bit more and, I want, um, you know, colleagues to, you know, people who are new in the roofing industry to kind of, you know, get something out of this podcast and, um, you know, to kind of learn some of my struggles and maybe, you know, take as much as they can away from, from it. And also like, you know, we drive around roofing, people drive around their trucks a lot. So I feel like it'll give somebody an interesting story, you know, some interesting (laughs) stuff to listen to. And, um, you know, uh, I'm still kind of, I'm planning a pretty cool guest list of people and I'm planning to grow this podcast. Uh, I don't know how far it can grow. And, you know, I am, um, I'm, I'm committed to six episodes, you know, I'm six episodes for right now, but I was listening to the Joe Rogan podcast recently with Elon Musk blew my fucking mind, by the way. Have you listened to it yet? No, I'll check that episode. And, um, and I started looking into Joe Rogan cause this podcasting stuff is really fun, you know? Yeah. And so, um, Joe Rogan has been doing it since like 2009. He's got like 3000 podcasts. <laughs> like he's, he, he's an animal. He's an animal. He can go for 10 hours straight podcasting. I don't think he goes to the bathroom. Like he has a beast, you know? And it kind of made me kind of like how Jeff Bezos is like, the standard of like what loving your job is and like CEO is Joe Rogan to me is kind of like the standard of what like podcasting can be. You know? So <laughs> that's, a tall, that's a tall statement. It's huge. Yeah, it's huge. But you know, one thing I've learned is just to think big, you know, just to always think big yeah. and uh, you know, and, and even if you think really big and you don't hit those like really big goals, you hit them lower goals, but those lower goals are still pretty damn big. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of one thing I've really learned in, in, uh, in business and in life and, and in everything. So, I want to thank everybody uh, for listening to this podcast. I think we're going to start wrapping it up here. And um, I want to uh, um, just, I want to, you know, um, thank everybody again. And also uh, want to ask you to subscribe, share, and like. That's what we say. Uh, that's what podcasters say is subscribe, share, and like to my podcast. You can also check out my YouTube videos online and uh, follow me on Instagram. Thanks again. Thank you for being here, Mo. I really appreciate it. My pleasure.
So thank you very much for listening. I really appreciate it. And I really hope that you got something out of this show. Please be sure to subscribe and share with your friends. And if you would be so nice as to leave a review on iTunes, I would really appreciate that. If you do know someone who you think could benefit from listening to this show, if you know what I mean, please send them our way and we hope that we can help them. Thank you again and I hope you have a great day. Thank you.